on days like today. There are certainly temptations in what we are to do with, with our emotions, with, with the anger, the sense of violation that we would feel. We are tempted to allow those emotions to go in so many different directions. To allow our anger, which is, which is a God-given emotion, to allow our anger not to be a, a, a tool that God begins to use for redemption, for justice, but to allow our anger to become a, a tool of hatred, of vengeance. To allow moments like these that we remember today to become days of despair and hopelessness and to lose faith. Certainly we are tempted to follow that stream. We each struggle in our own way in trying to come up with a sense of understanding or or meaning or where was God in the midst of this. We are tempted in so many different ways. So it's appropriate that on this day that we consider these passages or this key passage out of Luke, and it certainly is in the other Gospels, that reflects on the temptations of Jesus and how He responded and how they might relate to us in our own faith walk today. Now last week we we began the Sunday after Easter asking the question, okay, what is the life that we're to live? What are we to pursue in Christ to experience and to live out this resurrection hope that we have in Christ? And we battle and struggle against the temptation to say, you know, Easter is just one day of the year. But by going back and and looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I think we can find some really tangible ways to encourage us and to move us along our journey of experiencing this Easter life that we desire. If you turn with me and just have your your Bible there in Luke chapter 4, you can follow along with us. Again, notice when Jesus was baptized in chapter 3 that the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit descended upon Him and that a voice from heaven came out from the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In beginning His ministry, His earthly ministry, Jesus was baptized and His Father blessed Him for the journey. There's this beautiful picture of the unity of the Trinity in this moment. And isn't it fascinating that that as Jesus' earthly ministry is announced, as as it is inaugurated, that the first step is not to, to the temple. The first step is not to masses of people on a hillside to teach. The first step of this earthly ministry for Christ is to be led by this same Spirit of God into the wilderness. Now, depending on how you look at the different stories, the the questions that surround this is, was Jesus tempted the whole 40 days or was the temptations that they come at the end of the 40-day period? And, And I think you can really argue and see that probably as a part of this 40-day wilderness experience where I would consider that what was taking place was 
kind of a boot camp, a preparation for Jesus, a, a recognizing, a realizing of, of what his ministry was about in, in some deeper and more significant ways than maybe he had fully understood before this time. And I suspect that all throughout this wilderness ex- experience and adventure, that there was temptation. But as we come to the end of this story, the authors allow us to enter in a deeper level. The scripture says that Jesus was full of the Spirit of God and he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness and that he was being tempted by the devil. Now the devil is our adversary. Peter puts it this way. He says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So so the picture I think that we have is of, of Satan prowling around in the wilderness looking for those opportune moments to come about and to tempt Jesus. But Peter says that we are to resist this devil. Well, how do we resist this devil? How do we come up with a strategy to, to have victory over this evil one? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we're to, to put on the armor of God. This is our strategy. And as we read Ephesians 6, we discover that, that the strategy, the armor that we're to put on to, to help us to resist this devil is truth and righteousness or, or purity or rightness, justice. Part of this armor is peace and faith and salvation. And Paul says, but we have a weapon. The weapon that we have is the Word of God. The psalmist in Psalm 119.11 says this, Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Even back into the Old Testament days, there was an understanding that God's Word, when treasured, when meditated upon, when memorized, when placed in our hearts, was the weapon, was the, the strategy, was the tool that we all had access to that would allow us to have victory in those times of struggle and of temptation. And it's this Word, this Scripture that Jesus finds strength in and victory in as he experiences the temptations. So as we look at each of these familiar temptations, I I want us to notice at another level. I want us to notice that every one of Jesus' temptations was a distortion or a corruption of something good and something beautiful and something intended for Jesus. Everything that Satan promises Jesus in these temptation stories was already a part of Jesus' plan and of God's will for his life. Yet, Satan tempted Jesus by twisting the truth and by creating doubt in the way that the Father had directed the same strategy that this evil one used in the garden with Adam and Eve to create doubt, to offer a new way, to offer a shortcut, to offer a better way of accomplishing God's will. 
Yet ultimately, as with each temptation, as with each shortcut that we would face, ultimately leading to destruction. And ultimately leading God of being robbed of His own glory. So let's look at these temptations one at a time. First, I want to call this temptation, the first temptation is the temptation to trust in self. And that can take on many forms. The the temptation to become our own God. Satan says, if you are the Son of God, of course he was, but if you are, let's prove it, Jesus. If you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. Of course, Jesus, understanding how to to, to combat and how to, to fight back against this temptation, quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It says, man shall not live on bread alone. And for those that would go back and and look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, it continues, but rather man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, even in times of great physical need, life is more than just the body. The true bread of life, the true sustenance of life, comes from the Father, who not only nourishes us spiritually, but also is provider and provides for those physical needs that we would have but listen to how the devil is is twisting this you don't need to wait on god jesus we know you can do this we know you can perform this miracle it's no big deal look here's some stones here's here's some rocks just make some bread out of that go ahead and, and quench that hunger that you have. It's been 40 days. You've accomplished what your father wanted you to. You've been trained well. Go ahead and enjoy these rocks. Just turn them into bread. What a great thing for us to consider. Something that we teach our children that how many times do we forget to practice it? You know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, right? Isn't it interesting and fascinating that in the Lord's Prayer, in the model prayer, that one of the things that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray for consistently and regularly to acknowledge their dependence upon God was found in one of the mid-verses of the Lord's Prayer. When daily we're to make this prayer, Father, give us this day our daily bread. To recognize daily that our physical sustenance comes from Him and that we are depend upon Him for that. And not to go about turning our own stones into bread, but to trust in the Lord. The second temptation, I think, takes us to a different level. What I want to call the, the temptation of glory. So obviously the first temptation to trust in self, to, to make oneself a God, to idolize oneself, and now the temptation of glory. Listen to what Satan is asking and inviting Jesus to do. He says, I'll give you all of this, all this domain, all these possessions, all these nations. And and I'll give it to you for your glory. And people will bow down and they'll worship you. 
with one minor caveat, Jesus, right? That first you bow down and worship me. Again, Jesus responds with scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Again, Satan twisting the plans and desires of the Father because what Satan was offering Jesus was ultimately what he would receive. Philippians 2, verses 9-11 through 11 say this, that God the Father highly exalted Jesus so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow to the glory of God the Father. You see, Satan was trying to give Jesus something that was already his. But he said, let's, let's take a shortcut. Let's go ahead and speed this up a little bit. The obvious end is that you're going to be worshipped, so let's just go ahead and cut to the chase. You worship me, and then you'll be worshipped. But Jesus understood the trap and the fall that was in front of him. The final temptation, what I want to call the the temptation of presumption. Again, Satan chides Jesus in saying, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here. Jesus takes him to the pinnacle of, of, of the temple and says, just cast yourself off. You know that nothing's going to happen to you. The angels are going to come. They're going to, they're going to rescue you. Again, Jesus responds with Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Go ahead, Jesus. They're not going to let anything happen to you. And yet, in Acts chapter 13, verses 29 through 30, The scripture says this, they took this same Jesus down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. You see, we we can't presume upon God, We, we can't, even Jesus couldn't presume upon the Father, he couldn't take his own life in his hand and say, I'll just jump off the the cliff now, I'll just jump off the pinnacle now, and you know what? The Father will raise me up. He'll give me new life. He'll protect me. See, we don't and can't presume upon the Father. Even when we understand that this is God's will for us, that God would raise Him, protect Him from death, would allow Him to conquer death. And as we come to the end of uh, verse 12, and we begin to transition, we notice that, that this story kind of comes to an abrupt end. Immediately after the final temptation, the Scripture says this, the devil left him until an opportune time. Even though he had experienced all of these temptations, the warning that we must understand is that we are never quite finished, we are never safe from these temptations. You see, there is an opportune time that is coming. And we know that Jesus was tempted again. Just like we. As we are tempted, and as we would have victory over that temptation, we must continue to resist. Because Satan continues to look 
for an opportune time. You see, he never licks his wounds for long. He will return. And so it is with us. This evil one continues to come at us. This evil one continues to seek opportunity to destroy and at minimum to compromise and to diminish the life that God calls us to. He attacks us while we're in the wilderness. He attacks us while we're hungry. He attacks us as we're trying to understand God's will and direction for our lives. He attacks us when life is good and prosperous. See, He's always about testing and tempting us. He's always about trying to deceive and to confuse us. And He's always about taking what is good and turning it into something that is not good. So how are you doing with your temptations? Let's, Let's just briefly run back through these three temptations again and ask some personal questions. The temptation to trust in ourselves. Here's the question I think we all have to to consider. Are you eating rocks today? Are you eating rocks? Are, Are they tasting pretty good? Has Satan tempted you in some way to take what was just a mere rock and to turn it into something that is bread like? that instead of learning to trust and depend and to wait upon God, you've taken some of the rocks in your wilderness and began to turn them into bread and began to eat upon them and to begin to depend upon them. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and He will make our path straight. And He will provide what we need? Do we pray along with our our Lord and Savior, give us this day our daily bread, or are we constantly about providing our own bread out of rocks? What about the temptation to glory? What about the temptation that each of us face to obtain success and power and position and recognition? Have you adopted the philosophy of life that says this, the ends always justifies the means. We've got a goal, and the goal is good, and it really doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get to the goal. Jesus certainly proclaimed that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. But let's not forget that Jesus also proclaimed that He is the way. Have you justified cheating and lying and stealing and killing and covetousness and infidelity to reach your goals? If I can take this shortcut, then guess what? I can achieve this goal. Oh, and this goal is good. Or rather, have you understood that that life is about the journey? Life is about the way. And that we're to embrace the characteristics of Christ as we go along the way. That we're to embrace honesty in business. Compassion 
and kindness. Well, if you were kind and compassionate in my business, you wouldn't make it. That's what we're talking about, right? Forgiveness, graciousness, generosity, not being jealous and envious of those who have success as you're still along that journey. God may have place of, of position, of, of power, of influence for you. But are you trusting Him in the journey? Are you trusting Him along the way to get to the ends? Or have you copped out and said at any cost we'll get to the goal? The final temptation, the temptation of presumption. Are you jumping off pinnacles, presuming and even expecting that God is not only going to catch you, but that God is going to bless you in the process? Again, let's not forget the Scripture teaches that we're not to put the Lord our God to the test. Paul says it this way, are we to continue to sin so that, that grace could abound? Of course not. And yet how many of us have adopted this lifestyle? You know what, I can go out and do this and God will forgive me. I can cheat on my wife or my husband and God, God, will, God will work that out. He'll forgive us and it'll be all right. What or who are you flirting with today? Some of you are standing on the ledge, on the pinnacle, wondering if you should jump. As you're aware, I did youth ministry for 20 years. One of the great challenges of being a youth minister was taking trips and spending nights in hotels with junior high boys. And you would threaten and threaten and say, if you leave this room in the middle of the night, not only will God know, but I will know at some point. <laughs> and there will be consequences. But here's the question. At 2 a.m. with four 7th grade boys sitting on the edge of the bed talking about the opportunities that they might have, What's going to be the deciding factor in them leaving the room or not leaving the room? What's the temptation that's out there? Are they going to jump? We were with a group at a youth camp. Passport Disney, some of you might be familiar with that program that was several years ago. Four seventh grade boys sitting in their rooms at 2 a.m. daring one of them to go streaking. He chose to go and do it. About 10 minutes later, he and his sponsor were knocking at my door, waking up Morgan, who was about four years of age at the time, which wasn't a good thing. And he got to spend the rest of the week sleeping in our room on the floor. He was not a happy camper. But you see, he jumped off the temple, he jumped off the pinnacle, he jumped off the ledge, and he thought that, oh, wait, he'll forgive me. He, he won't do anything. He won't, he won't punish me. He'll just say a few words and it'll be all right. Are you standing on the pinnacle? Are you standing trying to decide if you're going to jump? Because you know what? Because God will save me. God will catch me. God will redeem me. 
Oh, that we would not presume. Because God is loving and He is kind and He is faithful. But let us not presume upon God. Some of you have jumped and are just hoping to survive. You're in midair and you're just saying, Oh God, please catch me. I have, I've made the biggest mistake of my life and here I am. And you're crying out to God and oh, that God would catch you. And even if there's a splat, so to speak, that God would be there to pick up the pieces and to restore you. Beware. Beware for the devil is prowling about, waiting for the opportune time to devour you. So let's remember. Let's remember how to have victory over these temptations. Let's remember, as Jesus did, that through God's Word, by treasuring His Word, we can find victory over sin in our lives. You see, the written Word instructs us, it reproves us, it corrects us, it trains us, it equips us for the work that God calls us to in the battles that we must engage in. What temptations are you struggling with today? And what is the Word of God that needs to be your sword as you face those temptations? Let's pray.